Here y'all come on in, take your shoes off, sit on down. Y'all listening to In the Corner, back by the woodpile. Fun counter guy, thanks for stopping by. This here is another edition of Trying to Herd Cats, the philosophical podcast where we throw anonymous quotes at anonymous folks and look for what's left after the smoke clears. So, getting right into it, the first quote is By all means, marry. If you get a good wife, you'll become happy. And if you get a bad one, you will become a philosopher. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, you would have lots to talk about and uh, lots of tales to write down and uh, a lot of stories to, uh-huh. that you could pin. Yeah, I, I, I believe that. Uh, and uh, uh, much to the glory of God and praise be unto Him, uh, we have had a wonderful marriage, me and my wife. And we, have, we are still happy and getting ready to celebrate our 62nd wedding anniversary. So you're no good at philosophy. No, no, I'm not a philosopher at all. No, I haven't. No, I haven't went down that road. But at the same time, I believe what my preacher told me one time, an old preacher friend of mine, his name was Doctor B. G. Wiggs, and uh, he was um, preaching on uh, uh, on the scripture, and I can't remember it, but I do remember the part of it. For husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. And he happened to insert this state this statement that you're talking along the line of, he said, the man that tells you that he has never had an argument or a fuss with his wife, you want to be careful of that man because he'll lie to you about something else. Again, by all means marry. If you get a good wife, you'll become happy. And if you get a bad one, you'll become a philosopher. I just read something today about John Wesley, what a horrible time he had with his wife. Um, now, apparently, I read one thing that said he, he she beat him. Mm-hmm. I think she was abusive. Yeah, abusive. But For those listening, uh, he was a great uh, theologian and founder and, of the Methodist Church and preacher. And he on horseback and went over a lot of terrible places. And right, but apparently he was a philanderer. Really, uh, by the way, uh, according to what I read, according to the Baptist. <laughs> that's right. According to the Baptist Home Journal. Uh, I don't. I don't know. That's the abuse thing. He didn't mention that. But yeah. back to the quote. Uh, I was talking to a friend today whose wife made his life very difficult. They ended up divorced, and but then the in-laws, his former in-laws, are still married. But that wife continuing to make her husband. It's very very difficult. And he's hung in there, but and they're in their eighties. Again. By all means, marry. If you get a good wife, you'll become happy. And if you get a bad one, you will become a philosopher. <laughs> uh, that's silly. I don't agree with that. Okay, take it on. <laughs> take it on? No, I don't think... I don't think you should marry for personal gain. A good marriage will make your life better. Absolutely. Um, I've been in a good one and I've been in a bad one, and um, the bad one did not make me a philosopher. Yeah, so <laughs> it so. made me a bitter, angry, ugly person. Did you have a philosophy of your bitterness? Did, no, I didn't. When I was very young, so it, 
I couldn't see it until years later that I was, he was a very bad husband. I was not a fantastic wife because I was reacting to, mm. you know, a pretty horrid situation. No, I, I don't feel like I, I gained anything from that except the knowledge that I, um, I felt more empowered and more ready for life when I left that relationship. Um, I don't think I was any wiser. You don't think that you developed maybe a better philosophy on relationships or what is suited for you or et cetera, et cetera? No, because then I spent the next 10 years dating everybody and anybody. <laughs> so, no. Um, I will say this was something that I didn't share with my ex-husband until after the divorce and one of the last times I ever saw him. We were talking, and he said, it's so strange that you got over me as fast as you did. And he was still reeling. And the story here is that he was a, he was a kayaker, and he would go off by himself to the mountains and do creek boating. While you were married? While we were married. Um, and while we were married is when he got into it. So it was new, you know, new to him new in the relationship. So he would go to the mountains, a solo activity, so he wasn't going with a buddy or anything. And he would say he was going to be home at 7, but then he wouldn't get home until 9 or 10. And this happened many times, where he'd say, you know, definitely home at this time. It would be hours later. And in those hours, every time he went out, I would, um, first I would be terrified, and then it became a regular thing, and I thought, well, if something happens to him, what would I do? And then that became a regular thought, so that I got accustomed to, where would I want to live after he died? Where would I stay, you know, would I stay in this city? You already, you already had a contingency plan? I had, I was starting to build life without him, so that when I finally sort of came to my senses, this was not the person I needed to be with. I had been working on that plan for a couple of years. I didn't actually follow the same plans, but I had the ability to craft what life was going to be like without him. And when I told him this story, it was the first time I ever saw him cry. Wow. Yeah. Good thing you're not a, a spokesman for the kayak industry. <laughs> Uh, I have a I have a loathing for that sport like no other that and golf but that's another story. <laughs> also relationship based. No, I had a job where I was um, the driver for the beverage cart on a oh, wow. on a golf course on a private country imagine. club golf course, mixing drinks at ten o'clock in the morning for all of these rich white men, and. How did they treat you? Not well. Oh no. No. Because I was overweight, so I was the fat one on the course. Oh no! And I'd actually never mixed drinks before, and you know they were already paying fees, so I didn't get tipped. It was it was really depressing. Yeah. Yeah. I did become an avid bird watcher. <laughs> <laughs> like I knew all the birds that lived on the wow. course, and I got an amazing tan on my left leg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see it now. It's still there. It might not be a tan. Uh, might want to get that checked out. Again, by all means, marry. If you get a good wife, you'll become happy. 
And if you get a bad one, you will become a philosopher. I think you have to be compatible with each other to get along. You can't expect to be the whole show and him not to give anything, not to have his say in anything. I think he has a right to have his say. But that should be discussed before you marry. But a lot of people don't. They just think they fall in love, deeply in love, and then get married and everything's going to be great. But they'll find out. <laughs> Did you and your husband agree on everything? Or were compatible enough? Or We were compatible enough. When we first married, we didn't have a lot of money, and he was in school, and we had to watch her money carefully. I know Billy Joe says now if mother could save a quarter, she would. And I said, you're mighty right, because at the time it meant a lot. And then having three children. Mm-hmm. And later on, of course, I uh, got my degree and was teaching, and that helped. Because mm-hmm. it, it's kind of hard if you have a family with just one person working. So that caused problems a little bit? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder sometimes if people that are born into money, if they are as happy as people that have to work to get along, you know, not struggle, because I think sometimes that does cause problems when you have to struggle. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes the wife or the husband will go out and buy something they really couldn't afford it, and then that a lot of times causes problems. So you like to... <laughs> try being rich to find out if you could be happy if someone offered you i don't know that i would so you're content i'm content because i had to work for what i had but i'm glad that i was able to work Mm -hmm. and i think if i had it to do over again i would appreciate the children a lot more but i i tried to make the children mine when i was teaching because they needed to learn and not just sit there you know pass the day away so if one of your boyfriends showed up and said, Betty, let's get married, and I'm going to, I got lots of money, by the way, I'm loaded. <laughs> I would have to go out with him and be with him some rather than just on the spur of the moment. How rich is your boyfriend? How rich is he? <laughs> I don't have one. Oh. <laughs> I don't starve. Okay. Oh, and I, I, you know, I have, get the retired teachers. Mm-hmm. Salary's what I live on, and we got a big raise this year. Really? Uh huh. A dollar and a quarter a month. Woo! <laughs> That's what he was. Isn't that something? We're going out tonight, aren't we? <laughs> I don't know where to spend it all. <laughs> Again, by all means, marry. If you get a good wife, you'll become happy. And if you get a bad one, you will become a philosopher. Oh, goodness. Yeah. I don't think people today, though, stay together. When the going gets tough, people have a tendency to split up. Divorce is easy, quick. So that's why we have less philosophers? Ah, that's probably a good statement right there. Wow. <laughs> that's a very good statement. That's interesting. But, uh, you know, my parents were married for well over 50 years, and by the time... 50 years of the world around, I mean, they were just such complete and total opposites. Uh But my mom said, you know, we're together because we're like two old pairs of shoes. We just go together. Right. We, you know, we're left and right. Uh We have absolutely nothing in common, but we're together with that old pair of shoes. Right. So. So they've still made it. A, a decent life of it. You know? They still they still made a life of it. There was so there they was, didn't really grow grow apart. They just they're just different people. They just became different people. So, 
But, but did it still cause some trouble here and there? I mean, or no? I think my dad became the philosopher. <laughs> gotcha. Wow. So, what was some of his philosophy? You know. Oh. Like, what is something he imparted on you? Like, hey, man, this is what I learned, son. And just to just to be a good and honest person, uh-huh. um, be kind, be helpful. My dad would always stop and help a stranger. Uh, he always volunteered. He dropped bags of food off at pet shelters, uh-huh. bring the bell for the Salvation Army, uh-huh. whatever he could do to get out of the house, especially in his retirement years. So, so that ended up being a, a good thing. Ended up being a good thing, yeah. yeah. Did, what, did your mom drive him crazy sometimes? Oh, they drove each other crazy sometimes. Okay. So. so in that, they ended up doing good works for others. So. Yeah. Quote, one thing only I know, and that is that I know nothing. I'm the walking embodiment of that theory. So you know nothing? Less than nothing. I'm worse than that because occasionally I think I know something. I was and, ask you. and when you talk about dangerous situations, there's nothing more dangerous than a guy who thinks he knows something and really has no clue. So, Was there a time that you thought you knew something? I mean, as a general rule? How have I proved this this theory you're saying? I suppose. In, in my everyday life? Yeah. I think I prove it musically all the time. Uh, because you think or you want to think that you're at a certain level. And, and then, you know, you find yourself in a situation where you go, Hmm, my particular skill set is, is not quite is where it should be, you know, for this situation. And then you go, wow, I should shut up. And this is like when you have paid gigs. Oh, sure. You can fudge your way through a lot of stuff, but in my brain, you know, outside I'm going like this and going, yeah, you know, maybe maybe they're buying this. Do you find the older you get, the more you realize you know nothing? Sure. Because over and over, it, it keeps <laughs> like, like a rock, like, a, like they say, a rock and then a, a pebble and then a bigger rock and then a wall, you know, drops on it. Well, that, that's exactly it. Yeah. So can we know anything? No. You don't think you could learn from mistakes? We can learn that we know nothing, though. If you can grab onto that, the world is your oyster. Okay. Is the world your oyster now? It's my clam. There's levels. Right. right. Again, one thing only I know and that is that I know nothing. Well, like, I I don't know. It's just that he says, well, the one thing I know is I know nothing. Well, that's not true because you do know some stuff. Like, maybe if you were just born or you were a baby or a toddler, well, yeah, you don't really know much, but you still know stuff. Like, you're going to learn more and more stuff as you grow up. Mm-hmm. So you know something. Yeah. Have you ever felt like, oh man, I'm so dumb? Yes. I do when maybe one of my friends um, like know this answer and I'm like, what? How did I not know that? Have you ever seen people that they think they know the right answer or you think they yeah, think they know everything? Yeah, it, it's so annoying. So like, I'll know the right answer and I'll tell them something and then they'll say no, like, They'll just say a different answer, and they're like, oh, I know I'm right. And then it comes out to me being right, and I just hate when people do that. Yeah. Do they get mad at you for being right? 
Um, yeah, some people do. But not really anymore. What's two plus two? Four. Wrong! <laughs> it's five. Cool. Again, one thing only I know, and that is that I know nothing. Well, we have an expression that I've developed later on in life that some people are so stupid they're not smart enough to know they're stupid. And we've come up with that, that people that it seems like they never really learn how ignorant they act and some of the things they say because they're just too stupid. And you hate to say that, it only made me be condescending, but it seems to me like the smarter I get, the more I don't know. And I think that's the way it is. You know, the more I learn about a certain subject and do some research and I find out, man, you know, there's more to it than just meets the eye. This can really get complicated. You know, this, there's a lot of resources and you can go as deep as you want to on any subject. And so we've recognized that among my coworkers, you know, and we have certain people that they tend to do everything wrong. For folks listening, you're in the engineering world. Manufacturing repair, I would say. Redesign, stuff like that. But, so, you know, there's always a few people that are so busy bragging on themselves and blowing, they don't give a chance to anybody to say anything anyway. But they never realize how offensive they are to people. And uh, they don't realize some of the stupid things they say. In troubleshooting in the technical world, you know, there are some things you learn from experience and things to know which ways to go about it. But in the back of my mind, I always keep the thought, assume nothing, assume nothing. Most of the time when I get asked a question, usually it's because the others have already spent some time and they couldn't figure it out. They don't bother me unless they get that point. And usually, usually it's something simple, something they have assumed. Well, so-and-so has already done that. Well, unfortunately, if you're trying to troubleshoot something, you can't believe what a lot of people tell you. You can't assume what you even know to be theoretically true. We have to play ignorant. When we get something we've never seen before, a piece of equipment, and it's really complicated, I make the expression, okay, i got to play stupid on this one. If I try to outthink it and I assume that I know too much about it, I'll get in trouble. Can you see how that might be happening in science or any any field where people have made assumptions like, oh, so-and-so already went through this. We're not going to waste time going his route. That's possible, but I would think the science community is more methodical. They've been trained to do that. They start with a principle and they prove it, and then they take that and then they keep building and improve on that. Now, as we develop, I think they need to constantly keep be looking at the past and say, well, you know, at that time, they were short some ability, short some equipment, short some knowledge. Maybe we ought to go back and revisit that. And they have. There's a lot of the sciences that have changed, and even medicine. That's why when every newfangled thing or new theory or something comes down the pike, I take it with reservation. Try to. I'm not to be a doubt or anything, but I know that there's been things hundreds of years ago that, that were thought to be absolutely positively true that eventually were disproven. So... Just because, well, I read about in the paper, a scientist said it, a professional scientist. Well, I have no qualms with the guy, and I'm not discounting his knowledge, but don't just you know swallow everything people say. I don't care how smart they are. One bad part about being kind of a troubleshooter or something 
uh, you have to ask a lot of questions. You have to really find out every little detail. Try to find out where to go. And that offends people. And I've had people tell me, you know, you ask too many questions. And I've tried to explain to them. And they get offended at it because they think that I don't believe what they've told me. And the truth of it is, if I believed everything they told me, it, it would hinder me. And, you know, it's mostly a verification. And a lot of times I'll reword what they told me a little different way to make sure they're understanding. Right. Well, no, I didn't do it that way. But what I meant was, so... Uh, it reminds me of the Russian proverb that Reagan used to quote all the time, trust but verify. Yeah, trust but verify. And there's other ones like that. Uh, be as smart as a goat in sheep's clothing or something. Or there's something in the Bible about uh, be like being uh, slick as a serpent or... We're going to get in trouble for our Sunday school yeah. teachers. <laughs> yeah. But fortunately, I found out when I was doing washers and dryers in people's homes, you need to listen to the housewife. When they say <laughs> it's making this noise or something like that, listen to them, what they say. Because if there's any one person the most familiar with that machine, they are. They use it every day. They may not describe it right. They may not know what they're talking about. But they're, you've come in for the first time seeing that machine, you see a thousand of them like it, but you don't know that machine. And that person knows, if they say something's starting to sound different, they know what they're talking about. Again, one thing only I know, and that is that I know nothing. <laughs> well, you're bound to know something. <laughs> You know your name and uh, that you exist and that you're a person. And uh, it depends on what you're trying to do that makes you think you know nothing. Mm -hmm. If you're always willing to receive some help or in uh, knowledge with what you're trying to do, instead of thinking you already know, I know everything. Mm -hmm. I think people make a mistake a lot of times that they, they think they know everything. Do you ever feel helpless? Like you feel like, oh, man, I'm so dumb. Oh, yeah, why did I do that? Yes. <laughs> when something doesn't go like I think it's going to or should. Mm -hmm. For example? <laughs> when I'm trying to, to make something like make a cake and everything, mm -hmm. I've always said, like, you, I make it at home just for me or for my husband and I, and it turns out just fine. But then when I make it to take someplace, it uh, falls down. It's a failure. Uh-huh. And that makes me really feel bad. Now, why did that happen? <laughs> Do you still serve it anyway? <laughs> no. <laughs> it may still be delicious. <laughs> and eat it with a spoon. <laughs> yeah. It may not look pretty, but it tastes good. <laughs> yeah. And I know one time when we were eating, and I said, this doesn't taste very good. I don't even remember what it was. And Russell said, <laughs> well, it tastes all right to me, and he ate it, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't can't even remember, but I remember it tasted all right to me. <laughs> <laughs> you don't remember what it was? No. <laughs> but he did always, it wasn't ever, you know, he wasn't that particular because I tried to please him with what I cooked and everything. And yeah. only thing, he was, uh, he was kind of hard-headed in a way. I really worried about when he, uh, the first business he went into, he had a hatchery, you know, chickens. Mm. But I was worried to death about that. But I did the book work. I went out there on one day a week and did the book work for him. And by that you mean you went and counted the eggs? No, no, I didn't do that. I, I paid the checks and uh, things like that. No, did you I pay didn't pay in count. eggs? 
No, he paid with money. <laughs> Socrates had the courage and self-collectedness to be sufficient unto himself, but in his relations to others, he also had the courage and self-collectedness to be merely an occasion even for the most stupid person. I struggle with myself because I have a really hard time acknowledging that people outside of my own head have their own entire universe of the way their brain works and the way they perceive things. And and I guess this is a human thing, but I kind of make this assumption like even unconsciously that 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 we're going to understand each other about a topic because um there's going to be some like similarities or overlap and there isn't necessarily that's not a given (laughs) why do you think that is it seems like with some human beings we can't find almost any commonality or at least we can't understand each other's perspectives yeah, I guess I would say um, being on the other side of uh, getting a divorce after being married for 15 years, I would say because communication is hard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And because intentions are not sufficient in and of themselves, they have to be paired with action. And then all of that intricate dance has to unfold in such a way that understanding, like this magical moment of understanding happens and assuming that that's going to work is kind of ridiculous. Like my ex-husband used to say he was, a, he was an auto mechanic for a while. And so he really understood cars. And he said um, people get so upset when their car breaks down. And he said if you, if you understood the intricacy and randomness of the fact that cars ever drive at all, it's kind of amazing. <laughs> it's like it's a little bit of a miracle that your car ever drives down the road. And rather than when it breaks down, you should get getting upset about it. You should be excited that it's actually working when it's working. And then there's that perspective on things like rather than assuming that two people can find a way to connect and understand each other, you should probably actually be (laughs) really excited when it actually works. (laughs) If at all, yeah. The part about even a stupid person, I think that's that's awesome, though, because it, it means that you're able to put yourself in a position of connecting to people at the level in which they're available to connect to you. And maybe they think you're stupid, you know, like it's. You know, I'm sure, theoretically, nobody thought Socrates was stupid, but, you know, you never know. Um, I'm well, sure that he had his weaknesses. <laughs> well, well, of course. And I think in our modern society, we had this phenomenon of the, the people that are so smart, they're stupid, or the uh, yeah. the elites or the intellectuals, that, that group of people that, to a lot of people, are perceived to be way out of touch with reality. Yes, Definitely. I was in that, running in those social circles for a long time uh, when my ex-husband was getting his PhD. And um, I hit one of my best friends, her husband was getting his PhD as well. And we were not. Like, she had a, she has a master's degree uh, in social work, but she, she wasn't in that, like, straight, hardcore academia, and neither was I. And we would, like, be at parties and just, like, giggling to each other because um, they're so good at, like, people in academia are so good at finding exactly the term that they want to use to say exactly what they mean but every field has jargon and therefore a word can have a different meaning in a different you know subset of academia and it gets to where they don't remember how to speak english yeah right (laughs) you know to like humans who um like what's the point is the point like using the perfect um vocabulary sat word or is the point saying something in such a way that the person that you're talking to, you know, play to your audience, is going to get 
what your meaning is. And then so I feel like people who are really, really smart, I feel like they go through this intellectual adventure where, you know, they learn a lot of really big words and then they learn how to not use those really big words when they're not appropriate to use. And those people are really smart because those people can actually really connect to different people to the masses, which I think is also part of the quote that's interesting to me is it's, I think it's trying to say that he is so clear about things within himself that he can express them outwardly in that journey of self-discovery. I have never thought of it as part of the purpose of it is to share what you figure out with others, but I'm coming to a point in my life where I, that's becoming really evident to me, which is awesome, you know, because at first a journey of self-discovery is so overwhelming. You're just focusing on, on the, the self part. But, mm. but then there's the, the other part is, is actually where it could get really good and there can be collaboration and, and taking things to levels that you can't imagine within your own head, which is, you know, I would think would be the point. Again, Socrates had the courage and self-collectedness to be sufficient unto himself. But in his relations to others, He also had the courage and self-collectedness to be merely an occasion even for the most stupid person. I guess I kind of relate to it in a a way because it's it's not like I go, oh, I can just be by myself. Uh, I do get lonely, but I, I don't actually go, oh, there's this person that I wish was here or anything like that. It's it's more like just like I can talk to anybody that wants to hear, you know, what I've got to say or, you know, just hang out but then I also get kind of like eh, I gotta go be on my own <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you know that kind of thing this is not a loaded question but like obviously you've worked in a bar mm. people that are not as intelligent or not as an interesting let's put it that way are everywhere mm. have you found yourself having a difficult time focusing on what somebody was saying or oh yeah I mean if somebody says something that belies their ignorance it can make my mind go somewhere else. I try not to be judgmental about why they think that or what made them say something uninteresting. But usually it's just like yakety yakness that makes me go shut up in my head. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I typically can engage, but that's not necessarily like my choice or, you know, my go to mm-hmm. response to just like, well, let's talk about that. Have you found yourself learning from someone that, that is? maybe simple Mm. I think it's cumulative that I certainly have not been surrounded by great intellect the majority of my life you know what I mean so it's like I I can go back and go oh when I was in high school man I was around the smart kids all the time Mm. and you know and and most of them are doing pretty well so at each point then it's like I I also get drawn to the smart people mm. in my opinion mm. but I, I, I and I think I'm right uh, <laughs> there are <laughs> there are places where like eh, it's just not gonna happen but I mean I don't think I've really been there I, I've seen what shines so I, in some ways that doesn't relate specifically to that question but I guess I've seen like the diamond in the rough Okay. Which which would be like, oh, that person's really not so simple. You still hang out with me from time to time. What's, <laughs> the, what's the diamond in my rough? Yeah. Oh, now, see, that's interesting because I, I, I would say, like, you're the diamond in in a, in a rough. Oh, uh, okay. Um, but, 
but I mean <laughs> you're being nice but no that really is what I meant I, I was talking about individuals as mm-hmm. opposed to like oh well there's a smart thought among, <laughs> you uh, okay. know, among many uh. dumb ones or whatever <laughs> You know, no, I, I just, I mean, like, okay, so one example is, like, uh, there's this guy, Gary, that he actually worked at Melrose, and so everybody knew Gary. A lot of people didn't know my name, because they didn't talk to everybody that came in, but Gary would talk to just about everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it turns out Gary's had quite an interesting life. I mean, he, he's been part of, like, you know, 70s commune back in, you know, down in, uh, around, like, the farm. Not that one, but a related one. And, I mean, you know, just known a lot of national musicians and people. You know, he's had famous contacts. He just kind of is what he is, which is, you know, a guy that hangs you know, out at a bar at, in his 60s or however old he is. But he's also, like, a good soul. I, I've seen the way people get drawn to, like, that person. And it's like, they're like, oh, man, you're you're so cool. I mean, everybody's in there uh, in li- having had libations and <laughs> whatnot. So, the, you know, they, they've got kind of that glow and, and they're seeing the best <laughs> in each other yeah. as they all get high together. But, you know, there's also like that thing that's in somebody that seems to like shine and that other people can resonate with. Socrates had the courage and self-collectedness to be sufficient unto himself, but in his relations to others, he also had the courage and self-collectedness to be merely an occasion even for the most stupid person. I always think of how different we are. Who? Me and you. Okay. Like, you've never met a stranger, and I'd like avoid people like the plague. (laughs) (laughs) But you like people. I do. I get along with people, but it's just like, I have to be alone. When I'm around people, I feel like I get used up. You have to go back and recharge. Yeah. And I've read some, um, a book. Hold on one second. <laughs> okay. He goes over to his library. Oh, here it is. I just read an awesome book, and it was just something I, it just caught my eye at Barnes and Chernobyl. That's Barnes and Noble. And it's called Party of One, The Loner's Manifesto by Anna Lee Rufus. And this whole book was just like, I don't know. It's just like it was written for me. Is it a, about this person's personal journey? Yeah. She was like a loner, and then like her dad was kind of a loner too. But this is what I don't understand about some loners. How they find someone and get married. Because obviously her dad, you know, was, you know, they... And then she was a loner too, and then she found an, a guy that was pretty much like her. Mm. And he said they even bought a place in, um, I think it was somewhere in California. And their house was tucked away, and it was, like, hard to get to. Like, if anyone would try to come visit, they always had a hard time finding their house. And that was done on purpose. And I don't think she had any kids. Do you think if you could find somebody to be with, it would be best if you found another loner, like, where you all could have your escape away from each other even? I think I'm a loner's loner, (laughs) if that makes any sense. I think being around someone just 20, or having people around me, you know, going to work, Mm -hmm. 
and that that's just draining to me. Like I come home like mentally exhausted. Mm-hmm. You know? So it has nothing to do with people's intellect or lack of. I would no, I wouldn't say so. It just I never talk about my personal life like never like hardly ever. And people are some people at work are just constantly talking about their kids and mm-hmm. stuff that's going on in their lives, and I just that just doesn't. Well, to be fair, you don't have much going on here. I exactly. Mean, <laughs> I don't have too much to tell. You do a lot of stuff, but it doesn't translate well, I would guess. It's yeah. And everything I've done, I've usually done by myself. Like, you know, all my scuba diving trips, mm-hmm. I've went on by myself. I've never went with someone. But I've met nice people there, mm-hmm. and I've had really, you know, fond memories, you know, of meeting people. And it's funny because when I went and dove down in uh, Curacao, it's a, a little island off the coast of Venezuela. This family, it was like a, a mom and dad, and it was a young girl. She was like a teenager or something, and they kind of adopted me. And it was a resort, and it was basically out in the middle of nowhere, so you just like couldn't go into town. Everything was there. You know, we ate there, we dove, mm-hmm. and they kind of adopted me, and they saw me sitting off by myself, and it's like, hey, you know, come on. So every meal I had was with them. The mom didn't dive. The girl dove a little bit, and but the dad, me and him, went out one time. I've had a lot of situations, especially diving, where people see me by myself, and I think they feel sorry for me or something. Because I had there was another couple. They weren't like on their honeymoon or nothing, but they were pretty young. And I was at this Mexican restaurant in Mexico. I, yeah, in Mexico. I guess they're all Mexican restaurants, right? right. Duh. And um, I saw this couple, and I remember them being on my boat, but I never interacted with them. You know, I didn't, I maybe said hi or something. And they, like, invited me over to come sit with them to eat. And it was just, like, it was nice of them. And it just, I just thought it, it was weird because, you know, they were young, and and I thought, wouldn't don't you guys want time to, you know, be with each other? And just, like, why... Why are you inviting me over to... Well, it is pitiful. (laughs) (laughs) You think it is? A little bit. Someone goes on vacation all by themselves. I mean, it may not be... Is it odd? You're happy as a a pig and poop alone on a vacation, but I think to outsiders it looks like terribly lonely. And I think people feel sorry for you, even though you may be having the time of your life. Yeah. I would argue that you may be more like Socrates than you're giving yourself credit for. Because you can communicate with anybody, and you're very intelligent. I know you say you're not, but you're obviously very well read, you're educated, and yet you can still have a good conversation with the guy at the gas station. Or that, I think that's why people find it strange that I live by myself and stuff, because I'm not like socially awkward or anything like that. Yeah, I've seen socially awkward people. They have even been more social than you, but they still... You know, make a lot of gas or makes people feel uncomfortable. But yeah, you know. and that's the that's the people I feel sorry for, that people that want to make friends and stuff, but they're so socially awkward. It's just like no one really wants to be around them because they just constantly put their foot in their mouth or whatever. Right. Sometimes it's I don't know. I shouldn't admit this, but like if I'm leaving my condo and I can hear people outside talking, mm-hmm. if I'm not in a rush, I'll wait till they leave until before I. I leave just so I don't have to have a conversation with them. I've lived here for 21 years. Mm-hmm. I can tell you the first name of only one person that lives in my hall. All the other people, I have no idea what their names are. But you say hi to them all the time? 
I'll say hi and stuff, but I won't have a conversation with them. Because I don't want them knocking on my door. A couple weeks ago, someone knocked on my door. I was like laying here reading and stuff. I didn't even get up. <laughs> what if it was me? Well, you would have called or something. Yeah, that's true. I do call before I come. Yeah. So, I just like, you know, who, what, what? Why are they knocking on my door? You know? <laughs> it's probably emergency. Someone's having a heart attack. And well, probably could have saved somebody. Maybe they were looking for an occasion with you. I don't know what they wanted. I just know I was comfortable and I was reading and I didn't want to be bothered. Wow. That's horrible. <laughs> Again, Socrates had the courage and self-collectedness to be sufficient unto himself, but in his relations to others, he also had the courage and self-collectedness to be merely an occasion even for the most stupid person. Socrates was confident in himself. He was at peace with himself. He had a way of looking at the world that included him, and he was very comfortable with that, very intelligent. With that, not only could he communicate with those of his intellectual level, but to those who were not of his level. He could, he could span the gap, mm-hmm. and a lot of people cannot span the gap. I've hung out with rich people, I mean dirty rich people, uh-huh. famous people, actors, converse with them. And I've even had one of them to say, Ah, for blood, you're not bad, you know, for a black guy. Uh-huh. You know. Conversing with them and then immediately going over to the banks of the river and sitting down and having a conversation with a guy who is fishing for his dinner. You know, he's not sport fishing. He's fishing for food and have a conversation with him. Who would take the time? That man has something to teach me. Ignorant, stupid, uneducated, but he has been alive. And every day you're alive, you know, you can learn something. I mean, it's really amazing because everyone who has the ability to communicate and everyone who has the ability to hear that communication is going to learn. I used to call my little crazies when I was substituting. It was a class where, what was it, Develop, not developmentally, or challenged kids. Mm-hmm. I asked them to write. To finish this sentence, uh, it was something like, Little Johnny uh, didn't answer the dinner bell because. And I said, write. Write a novel. Just keep writing. Well, how much can we write? You know, all girls and one boy. And the boy put down because and turned his paper in. I said, no, this is, this is not what I'm looking for. Right. Well, you didn't say how much to write. I said, write a novel. Just keep writing. So... They cornered me, okay, five pages. And the boy, he just, he just flipped out. <laughs> the next day, everybody came in. All the girls had written five pages. I said, we're not checking punctuation, we're not checking spelling, just write. And every last one of them wrote five pages, and I read every word on all the papers. I was criticized or chastised because I'm setting them up for failure. How so? Because they're stupid kids, they can't do this. No one has ever asked them to do it. Right. So I asked them to step up, and every last one of them stepped up, and they came in standing tall. But the opposite would be condemning them to failure. 
if you didn't expect anything out of them. Right. You know. Exactly. Yeah. They've never been asked to write more than a paragraph. Mm -hmm. This is the worst class that you will have all day. Why? Well, they're GT and they just get to talking. No, I went in there. When you finish this, which was about 15 minutes, you do this. I gave more. And when you finish that, you do this. Then, the critical thinking. Then write me a paper. They stayed busy. They were quiet. They were great. Push people. You know, ask them to do more. And most people will respond and do more. And the source of the quotes? The first two quotes, by all means marry, if you get a good wife, you'll become happy. And if you get a bad one, you'll become a philosopher. And one thing only I know, and that is that I know nothing, are both attributed to Greek philosopher Socrates. And the last quote, Socrates had the courage and self-collectedness to be sufficient unto himself, but in his relations to others, he also had the courage and self-collectedness to be merely an occasion even for the most stupid person. Of course, is about Socrates, and is from Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard's work, Philosophical Fragments. In the corner, back by the woodpile, it's produced by a closet, a pocket, and a suitcase. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by looking up Spun Counter Guy. If you want to say hi or send us nasty words, you can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. And you can find this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and podbean.com. We'll see you on the flip side.